And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. Hello there, I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And May, we're in like the last two days of May, and it's time to be working outside in the garden. So tonight on Down the Garden Path, we're finishing off May's month on wonderful landscape shrubs with an Ask Us Anything episode and some exciting news. So it's an Ask Us Anything episode, and we'd love for you to send us your questions and tell us what exciting things you've been working on, any questions you might have about what's going on in your garden. We'd love to help you. Our email, as Gary said, is instudio101 at gmail.com, and we would love to hear from you. And pictures, you can go ahead and send pictures too, right, Matt? I was just going to say, and don't forget to send us those cool pictures. I know, we got What's hostess coho pictures, but we didn't get, we haven't gotten gardening pictures, but hey, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we would love that. So, hello. How are you doing? Today is an Ask Us Anything it is, which is always kind of scary because, you know, it doesn't mean that we know the answer to everything <laughs> that they're going to ask, but uh, at least we can, uh, we can give it a shot or we can direct them, right? That's right. And if we don't have a co- or the answer that you are looking for, or we know the answer. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, we will always get back to you after the show. We will write you from our accounts and let you know what uh, we came up with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because just like we say, we love learning right along with you and our wonderful guests and our research. So while we wait for some questions, Mm -hmm. we've got a couple in the wings, uh, just you and I have, but uh, we had some exciting news. We do have exciting news. We do. (laughs) Go for it. No, you go for it. We go for it. Where are all those, those, the people that have been asking us for our book, right? Um, so that is our exciting news is um, the book by the same name as the podcast, Down the Garden Path, a step-by-step guide to your Ontario garden is now available, right, Matt? Um, That's right. Alive now on uh, amazon.ca and or.com for our wonderful U.S. listeners. Uh, So check it out there. Uh, It's available. It is live right now for you to purchase with lots of the tips and tricks and advice that we've talked about over the many uh, seasons, uh, More you more so than me, the many seasons of Down the Garden Path here on Reality Radio 101. Yeah, so we were very excited. We're very proud. You know, a shout out to our uh, our editor, um, Elwyn Press, we, we, publisher, editor, both. She kind of did both, right? <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And Gary, who started all of this uh, many, many years ago by convincing me to do the show. Right, Gary? Thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> and uh, 
um, yeah, we're very proud and we're very excited and we know you guys are going to love it. So it, it's really meant to kind of be very similar to our show. Right. And we are all, we are all about down to earth, practical advice and, uh, in a timely fashion and helping you keep your garden as low maintenance as possible. And, uh, I hope that's what we've done. I think so. I think so. Um, going through every single month, letting you know what to do with the different types of plants, trees, shrubs, annuals, perennials, uh, your lawn for all of you lovely lawn listeners. Mm-hmm. We're all excited. I made sure there was some good lawn stuff in there. Oh, there's you. lots of lawn. <laughs> <laughs> in there as well. Uh, I wanted to give a special shout out just to, um, to William S., Um, I'm going to send you an email shortly, Uh, but he wrote us back in September of 2021, uh, and he said that he was really excited that we let him know or everybody know uh, that we're finally going to write the book. He'd been listening for about two years. I heard of us on a number of occasions joking about the book, uh, so he was really excited. So hopefully, William, uh, you are listening, and thank you for your encouragement uh, over the years and tuning in regularly. That's right. Yes. And I'm sorry, I don't have other listeners names that we know almost every week someone asks us about the book. So uh, thank you guys for being patient. It when we when we started, I think we both can admit Matt, we didn't think it would take as long as it did, um, or be as hard as it was because it wasn't easy. Like it was a lot. Um, Maybe if we were professional writers, and or that's all that was our day job right but it wasn't so uh so doing it uh, a part-time basis or um a third of a time basis or whatever you want to call it you know it, it was uh was hard and uh but we're happy we got there in the end you know we had our goal was mother's day and you know we missed it by a teeny tiny bit but that's all we got it out in a day that's like a huge a huge feat don't you think aren't you proud i'm proud of us I am very proud of us, too, and I think we've got lots of supporters. Uh, And next week, um, we're going to do, just for our special book launch, tune in. We are going to go live on Facebook, uh, and we're going to have some giveaways, some book giveaways, uh, some other swag, uh, and you'll be able to see us. So for all of our listeners, you'll get to see what we actually look like. Uh, If you didn't know, on, yeah. on Facebook we, we have posted a few pictures but yeah if you if you've never looked up our us on social and uh and seen what we look like then we are happy that you you know so you can check out um we're still working out the technical details which is why we pushed it a week or so we want that to work seamlessly between being listening to us here on the radio show as well as facebook live and um we, so we want that to be as smooth as possible. So, uh, so yeah, so we're excited about that. Our private Facebook group is Down the Garden Path podcast in uh, Facebook. So you can search for that. And we'd love you to be in the room with us, um, hanging out. Um, and we've got some ideas for some prizes, too, or some, some, ga- some what would we call them? Um, not games. Con- contests. Contests? No? Yeah, contests, giveaways. Notes so- that you write, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's right. So we do have, um, Holly is written in and just wondering uh, about what to do with our spring bulbs that may not be looking as fabulous as they once were. Should I cut them down now? Should I leave them? What to do? Thank you. 
Yeah. So good, Hollywood. Good question, right? Good question. And very timely as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of the bulbs, a lot of our early spring tulips and other flowering spring bulbs uh, have finished their flowering. And Holly, if you decide you want to keep them, what you want to do is you can deadhead them. So you can take out that tall, long tulip spike or the spent hyacinth bloom. And what you want to do is just leave the foliage there. So what you wanted to do is, is feed it with something with a little bit of uh, high phosphorus and some potassium in it so that it can regenerate, gather some food and fatten up that bulb for next spring. If we cut it down too early, the bulb will still survive, but it won't get enough energy moving in through June and maybe early July, depending on where you are and have a flower for next year. So next year you might just see some leaves and then it just stops. And that also might be uh, dependent on what the bulb was like when you first put it in as well. If it wasn't mm -hmm. a, a fully formed or a nice fat bulb, or maybe it was still a small daughter bulb that went into the package. Uh, she maybe flowered small or gave you leaves even this year. So yeah, just give her some food, give her some time. Uh, what you can do if you've got lots of tulips that are very tall is you can bend the foliage over gently and even put an elastic around it. And usually the weight will kind of just tilt them over so they can be hidden among some other uh, perennials or shrubs or annuals that you might have. And if not, just deadhead them and make that nice little stand of foliage a little bit more presentable and let her do her thing. Mm -hmm. And so once they've gone yellow, right? Yeah. So when they've gone completely yellow, they don't really go mushy. No, they don't go mushy. They just kind of yellow out. They start to brown out. And then they just kind of fall to the ground. And you can usually, if you've given enough time, just pull them up. I like to just give them a nice little snip just to quickly clean them up. So I don't disturb the bulb underneath or pull on anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perfect. And so that's a key. Um, the key there is to make sure you're planting, um, putting your bulbs um, in between your existing plants. And... Uh, and then also that way you, when, you know, they, the other plants will fill in, right? Uh, so that's something that will help you hide them going forward. So, yeah. That's right. That's good. So do you see the question? So Ari has written in, this is a good one, Matt. And we can talk a bit about our glossary, I think, with this question. Um, so he's saying, hi, Joanna, Matt. Happy book publishing. Right on. Yes, thank you. Thank um, you. What is partial shade in regards to daily hours for the sun? Thank you. <gasps> Thank you, Ari. Yes. yes. And just like Joanne said, uh, another plug for the book, we have taken, we've created a glossary, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pages. Of Matt the created the glossary, you guys. Oh my gosh. So much detail in this glossary. Oh my goodness. We thought, right, when we started the glossary, what did you think? Like, you know, yeah, two or three pages, there'll be a few terms. And then maybe, and yeah. then as we went through the book, holy smokes. So yeah, you guys, this is going to be, I think you could buy the book just for the glossary. Not that there's not other amazing content in there. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of terms. And you guys, our listeners have really taught us that, haven't they, Matt? That there's things that people use just in, in regular conversation, gardeners or students and teachers and, and, and people in the profession, um, but not realizing that not everybody knows uh, the term. Yes. And I think uh, I love that our listeners have even written in and said, well, what does that mean? Because, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, because we just keep saying it thinking, oh, yeah, we know what that means. We know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Ari, yeah. So what is partial shade? So partial shade is a space that's receiving less than four hours, consecutive hours of sunlight, but more than one to one and a half hours 
of sunlight. So it does need a little bit of sun. It wants to be protected from that afternoon blazing hot sun. Um, or it can be in a nice, very uh, dappled, bright, indirect space as well. So very bright, easy to, for example, read our book by without straining your eyes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Every time. Uh, but yes, yeah. And so it's just less hours, less direct sunlight, but a bright, indirect sun. But it does require a little bit of sun like most plants do. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that question, Ari, because I think that's that's one that many people have and and uh, plant, you know, you don't know. Right. And that's key because I see people say, oh, I've got a black thumb. I everything dies and it's not really you or the plant. It's just the right plant in the right spot. So I think sometimes I think we need to pay more attention to the spot than we even pay to the plant. Right. Knowing what the conditions it needs and making sure. And if we provide it for with everything it needs, you know, we have a better uh, chance at success. Exactly. Just to build on Ari's question as well, um, we also see like partial shade and then partial sun. Mm. So partial sun plants, you usually will see full sun to partial sun, uh, but partial sun plants, uh, they like that little bit of respite. They like those long, bright, direct sunlight, but they often benefit from just a little bit of break at the high noon or solar noon when the sun is closest right above your area. Uh, for you and me, Joanne, I think it's about uh, 1.18 p.m. Ooh. in the afternoon. So just, and I always kind of give it that, you know, 11.30 to 3.30 or 4.30, depending on the time of the year. So just a break from that afternoon blazing sun and then some later day sun or some more sun somewhere else. Uh, so just that little bit of a break for your partial sun and then just that one and a half to four hours or so for your partial shade. Perfect. Perfect. That's also in the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so Walt has written in. Uh, congratulations on your new book. That's a great achievement. Good luck. Well, thank you very much, Walt. Thank you very much, Walt. Thank you for writing in. Uh, Dave has also written in. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Matt. Wow, great news about your book. Good luck with it. Thank you so much, David. Uh, can I use vegetable seeds, tomatoes and beets from last year? Thank you. Yeah, and the answer is yes, you definitely can. Uh, the seeds will survive, eat different depending on the species of plant or the type of plant. Uh, they can survive for very few years or many, 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 many years. Um, and it, the main thing is that you just lose a little bit of viability. Uh, slowly, they just become a little less and a little less viable. So whereas if you have 10 seeds, you may get all 10 in the first year. And next year you might get 10 as well, but then you might get nine and then you might get seven and then you might get six. So it just, you can definitely try it. Just maybe plant a few extra and uh, let them grow and do their thing and see who is going to grow. And we always recommend as well, always planting one to three seeds for each one that you want to get, just to get rid of, uh, you know, make sure that you get it. And when you get them growing, just take out the, the one or two extra that you planted or the weakest one or two extra that you planted uh, and let them grow. But definitely, um, mm. I'm growing the purple King Tut vine uh, from, Ooh. yeah, from uh, Baker Creek Seeds. And the story behind that is they were, it was found sealed in an Egyptian tomb. And uh, they were able to test some of the seeds and they were, because of the dry conditions, they were perfectly preserved in that little jar. And yeah, so just an old heritage, ancient, yeah, purple uh, King Tut 
bean. Fine. Oh, is, uh, it, yeah. is it a bean? Sorry, is it a bean? It's a bean, sorry, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So is it going to like produce beans or is it just yeah. a vine? Yeah, no, no, it'll produce beans. Um, oh, wow. And they're a nice rich purple. And then they have a white and a purple speckling in them. So oh. this, the story, David, is many, many thousands of years ago. She was, it, they were sealed away. And they're still good. So oh, Okay. That is interesting. Now, um, back to the, the dates. So often the package will have a date on it, right? Like a best right. before date also. Um, but like you said, it's, it's, a, it's like best before a little bit with food is, you know, it's best before, but it doesn't mean that it's gone bad after that date. Right, exactly. Um, and I was even talking with, in my garden center days to a few of the uh, reps and it's, yeah, they come in and they'll replace the seeds every year. Uh, but they're often at least good for another three years. But when you go in and you look at that seed package, you do see that date, right? That best before or um, packaged for 2022. And it's not that they're not, they're going to be dead at the end of December 31st. But, you know, that's when we go in there, that's what we kind of think is, oh, they're only good for this year. Uh, so, but we've got them. And I often give, have given my students some extra seeds that I've, uh, kept over and they were some of them my old students from two three years ago were writing and saying oh I just planted some more of those seeds that you gave us and they all came up so perfect mm -hmm. so yeah oh, that's good that is good um, so Frank has written in cheers to Joanne and Matt on their new book congratulations thank you so much Frank he he, he writes in often so thank you yes thank you Frank thank you so much and thanks for tuning in this evening as well Beth is also written in, hey, good deal on the book. We were all waiting. Very cool. Good luck with it. Well, Thanks, thank you Beth. very yeah. much, Beth. Yeah. So, but we still love your questions. So I know you're all now ordering the book so you can get your questions answered from the book, but we're here and we're happy. <laughs> um, I have a video I'm about, so I can, while we're waiting for some more questions, I can share. I've got a video I'm about to post on Instagram. Um, so Matt, one at this time of year is often a time where people start bringing their tropical houseplants outside, right? Or mm -hmm. buying houseplants from, you know, from garden centers or big box stores and putting them outside just to green up their spaces. Um, and you've often spoken about how, even though they're tropical plants, they're not really necessarily wanting full, full sun. Um, so I successfully overwintered my mother-in-law's uh, hibiscus. Um, and hopefully she's listening tonight and successfully, you know, and then I thought, okay, let me get it acclimatized to outside. Well, I put it in the driveway in full sun. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I've got a little video. You guys can check it out on uh, between Facebook and Instagram. Um, so it definitely bleached the leaves. Like it's got a sunburn, you know, and I can see new growth is pushing through, but I just can't believe I did that. But we'd had like a whole bunch of like cloudy, cool, day, like, you know, warmer than inside, but, you know, cloudy days. And then just one day was like super hot and sunny. And it was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> Wait, my hibiscus. You could just hear the sizzle. Yeah, sizzle, sizzle. So, yeah, so I did a nice little video of don't do as I did um, <laughs> tips. So that is, you know, something to keep in mind, even if it's new ones that you're buying, you know, often they're still under cloth or under shade cloth in the nurseries and the garden centers, right? Or yeah, under the glass, like they're still, you know, they seem outside, but they're really not outside, outside. Um, so you can't go put it, you know, full, full sun beside your pool right away. You kind of have to... Um, don't you think is or don't you agree is them into it 
Yeah, they're often grown under shade cloths, um, just so that they don't get the, any like little sun speckles uh, or anything. So they're reduced light, knowing that they're going to come, especially in the northern climates, into shorter days, but also go into in, inside. So the leaves haven't acclimatized to that full, full sun. And even if you had it out full sun last year and you brought it in and you put it back out, like you were saying, like you saved it. Yeah, those new leaves, they acclimatize again indoors. Any new ones are thinner um, because of the light levels inside. And then when you put them out, they burn right away. So always ask at your local garden center where they were grown. Have they been acclimatized to outdoor sunlight? Can they take that full sun right away? And if not, all you really need is a week to a week and a half in a partial shade location. You can give it early morning and late, late evening afternoons or sunlight kind of right like now. Um, mm -hmm. anywhere from like six to the end of the day, five thirty, end of the day, depending on where you are on the continent, they get a little bit of sunlight, but then they're getting that bright indirect sunlight. So it gives that time for those leaves to thicken up, to acclimatize to taking that full sun. And then you don't get that nice bleaching and mm -hmm. those cool colors that they, that's they right. don't often go. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. If you were to look at it, you wouldn't know it, it looks like a variegated plant. You wouldn't know it was a hibiscus. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. And here's another one for you that we definitely go into in the book. So this is great. So George, uh, another um, comment of a frequent uh, listener. Um, he's saying, uh, thank you. It is great news about our book. We're excited. Um, can you please again, review the nut, what the numbers on fertilizer bags mean and what is the maximum fertilizer numbers that I can use for new grass. Take yeah. it away, Matt. That's right up your alley. I was just like scanning. Where did we have that page? <laughs> yeah, I know. Or I was like, right up your lawn. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you talk, go oh, find the number. Me. Oh, here it oh, there is. There you go. Yeah. Oh, this was perennials. Okay, keep going. <laughs> so George, um, yeah, and it'll apply to all, all the different plants. Um, but your three numbers you're going to see are nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. So we have a little rhyme as to what each of those nutrients do. The first number, nitrogen or N, is up. So it's going to give you all of that nice green growth, uh, drive lots of that nice, again, green growth, that vigor in the plant. It's used in all the different cell functions. Our next one is our uh, P, our phosphorus, um, that is involved in lots of different functions within the plant. Again, being one of them, the macronutrients, the transport of nutrients within the cells, the efficiency of the roots to increase uh, nutrient uptake, also stimulating root growth, and also uh, involved in flowering uh, and building those ovaries for those flowers. So that's why you'll see things like ultra bloom, not that it's lawn, but that ultra bloom, you'll see uh, a high phosphorus number for to give you flowers. Or in your lawn care, you'll see the lawn starter and you'll mm -hmm. see like a 12, 24, 12. And it's to stimulate that lots of that root growth. So in the rhyme, that one's called down. So up, down. And then we have K, our potassium. And it is an all-around nutrient, again, a lot to do with different, um, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, oh my gosh, Matthew, a lot to do, I just wrote it, a lot to do with <laughs> nutrient uptake, but also I kind of like the vitamin C, a lot to do with uh, walls, cell wall strength and resistances within the plant, like our heat, our traffic, cold, drought, things like that. It kind of fortifies the plant, almost like the immune system. Uh, if you will. And that one's called 
all around because again, it deals with all sorts of different cell functions, enzyme transport, and things like that within the plant as well. So up, down, all around is our, our rhyme to know what each of the numbers do. What are the maximum fertilizer numbers that you can use for new grass seed? Well, what you're going to often see is in the high 30s, especially for your nitrogen. So in, in the spring and the summer, when we've got lots of active green growth, we're going to see something like a 32, uh, 18, 12, or a, uh, 32, 0, 20. And, and depending on who has manufactured it and bagged it for you, that's it's all going to be different. When you go organic, you're going to see even the same numbers, but it's going to be like 427 or 723. So they're going to be slightly off and they work a little bit differently. So you can, your lawn fertilizers, you're usually going to see a maximum of a 30. Um, you can get fertilizers like a starter fertilizer, 105210, usually starting uh, small seedlings or other plants or transplanting. Uh, or watering cuttings at a reduced rate. So you can see big numbers, but your 30 is usually, or a low 30 is usually what you're going, going to see. But remember too, plants can't read. They're only gonna recognize the amount of that food that's in the dissolved in the soil solution and they'll take what they do or don't want when they mm -hmm. want it. Mm -hmm. What happens if they've give, you've given them too much? Like, is that when the grass goes yellow? We talk about people burning their lawns. Yeah, yeah. So if you put way too much down, and it's especially easy to do and often seen with uh, the synthetic granular fertilizer. So you spill a bunch out and mm -hmm. you, you brush it, or even if you've put it down evenly enough, but you've put down too much, uh, you do get the streaking or the damage uh, because there's so much of that synthetic salt that has been pushed into the soil solution. And what happens is it, uh, it burns the roots, especially if it's dry. Um, or it just pulls away all the water and you just start to see that browning. So you can damage the lawn pretty easily. Another way to damage your lawn with your synthetic fertilizer, I don't know if we've mentioned it, is um, never apply when the grass is uh, moist, when the blades themselves are moist, because those little prills are so light that they will stick to the side of the grass blade above the soil and they will start to release fertilizer into the water, which will burn the blade itself. Eventually they'll dry and they'll fall off or get blown or tossed down to the ground. But you can get this weird speckling shortly after if you've applied granular fertilizer to your wet grass blades. So yeah, so those are your numbers. Hopefully, George, that answers your questions. Joanne, did I miss anything? No, I don't think so. I think you okay. you uh, you did very well. You did very well. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, Karen has, I'm excited about Karen's question. Oh, it's a Karen's bit more saying? of like a design question. So Karen is, uh, um, she says, hi, Matt and Joanne, finally, right? Good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. She's saying she wants a fragrant garden. Which plants work, plants work best for that? So yeah, you get to talk about fragrant plants. That's always fun. What are your favorite fragrant plants? Um. I mean, some of it is you, you know, fragrance is, is one of those things where sometimes it's just when you walk by. So like right now, even I've had two people that come to my door and they're like, what's that smell? And it's my lilac. So you mean yes. spring is easy. You've got lilacs. Um, they are fragrant for, and it, it took, I was worried because it's my bloomerang lilac. And when they were first coming out, they were like a beautiful dark purple, but they hadn't fully, fully opened. And they weren't fragrant, but they look so pretty because they were so dark. But then they opened oh. and they've gone to the light 
the light color bloom and they are very fragrant. So I'm excited about that. Um, so I would have to say lilac. I would also say things like lavender mm -hmm, and, definitely. And, and cat mint is more like crushing the foliage. You know, you get a little bit of a scent. Um, that's right? what I like about. Yeah. And that's what I like about um, like the Agastache too, the Annie Hyssop. Um, it has a nice black licorice kind of fragrance when you brush up against it or you crush the foliage and then it, those nice spikes to bring in uh, bees and butterflies and yes. things like that. Yeah. 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 And I think some of the um, like ground covers, like I think of thyme, you know, crushing mm -hmm. and, and stepping on creeping thyme that is a variety of different times. Um, but that's a good way, like between um, um, Karen, if you're doing stepping stones anywhere in the garden, then I would have, you know, some of the creeping thyme or the woolly thyme near those stepping stones or maybe near the edges where somebody might walk. And then when you're stepping on them and crushing them, you'll get that scent uh, for sure. Um, we, I would say roses are the obvious one. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Roses and, and hyacinths. So we just had our spring bulb. So they're a mm -hmm. nice uh, little spring flowering uh, fragrance. One that's about to come out for me, one of my absolute favorites is uh, the variegated iris. Um, oh, so purple. Yes, I have them too. And you say fragrant. Yes, are those I, the ones that smell like bubblegum? Uh, like grape Kool-Aid. Grape Kool-Aid. Okay. So watch for that white variegated iris. And when they open, it smells like, you know, those little packages that you got for yes. like 50 cents of Kool-Aid and you open it and the powder comes out. Yeah. They're probably uh, five bucks good? now. now. Probably, we're dating yeah. ourselves. Sorry, guys. We're dating ourselves. It's probably five bucks now for a thing of Kool-Aid. But yes, that's, and mine are just coming. One, one of my clumps, I have three, I end up dividing. So I have three clumps now. Oh yeah. So when you, when, when you go out and when that flowers, it's, you would swear someone's opened the grape Kool-Aid and poured it in your iris, just the powder. And it just is so delicious. <laughs> Very good. Well, there you go, Karen. Were you thinking of, uh, were you thinking of grape Kool-Aid smell when you were thinking about scented garden or fragrant gardens? So something else that's not as common and that I actually really want to put in my garden this year, it's on my list this year. I have to figure out where, and that is a Daphne. Mm, beautiful flowering shrub. Yeah. Yes. Early spring again, nice variegated. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who we usually see. Uh, Rose Daphne, but uh, mm. oh, Carol Mackey. Right, Carol, Carol Mackey. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Carol Mackey, yeah. uh, semi evergreen foliage, mm -hmm. evergreen foliage. Uh, and it's very architectural. It almost just looks like it came, comes up and explodes and then stops. Yeah, it's like a little, it's round, right? It's very, very round, rounded. a very tidy. So for people who like a really tidy garden um, that sometimes they, you know, like boxwood and use that they can trim and they don't necessarily like things that go wild and crazy like lilacs and magellias or roses. So Daphne is one of those. Um, and, and many of these things, I think, is especially if you're facing sun, you're, you know, in the front of your home is perfect place to well, I think you should have that where you're sitting too, right? So you you get the benefit of, of those fragrances. Right. Another couple that are making a comeback, um, I think of their older kind of shrubs, are the mock oranges. Really? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. out of proven winners, they've had a couple brand new ones, um, Illuminati series. So there's Illuminati Sparks, which is brand new this year, three by three, four by four. Uh, full sun to part sun, but it's got a nice variegated creamy yellow uh, foliage, 
But then we also get Illuminati Tower, which is a little taller. Um, so again, it gets to about four feet tall, but only two feet wide. And then in the spring, uh, sorry, not in the spring, usually late spring to early summer, uh, we'll get single or double flowers. The Illuminati series is double, and they're very fragrant. Uh, that kind of citrusy jasmine fragrance oh, to them. And then there's Illuminati exciting. Arch, which is more arching. And again, mm -hmm. that classic green foliage and four by four. So smaller versions of our, our mock oranges. Uh, but there's some great plants there too coming out of Proven Winners. Yeah, that's good. Because yeah, the, the the larger mock oranges, not everybody has room for those these days. So so that's mm, exciting no. news. Yeah. Exciting news. Um, yeah, so I hope those helped, Karen. That gives me gets me excited for a fragrant garden. <laughs> Something new to try. Well, as we pass the end of the hour, uh, or half past the hour, I think it's my turn to jump in and say thank you, everybody, for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the wonderful guests who join us here on the show. Don't forget you can spend more time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle there is at down the garden path podcast, where we will be going live on Facebook next week. Mm -hmm. So at down the garden path podcast. And you can also find us in the lots of past episodes on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from all of our wonderful listeners across the continent. Don't forget, you can always write us here if you have a question. Perhaps you've downloaded a past episode of the podcast and you're listening in the car, you're not listening live, but you can reach us at in studio 101 at gmail.com or you can find us via either of our websites you can find joanne at triple w down the number two earth.ca and you can find myself at triple w natural affinity.ca so if you are just joining us we are talking and ask us anything episode we're rounding out may everyone is out in their gardens uh, our final last frost date or average last frost date has passed for us here in the GTA. So we are busy putting out tropicals and annuals and veggie plants to let mm -hmm. them do their thing for the year. Uh, so we're open to your questions, whether they be flowering, lawn, houseplant, uh, garden tools, equipment, whatever. So send us your questions or pictures and pictures at instudio101 right. at gmail.com. Do we have yeah. another question? We oh, do, like we, we do. Thought. Yeah, Joe, we do have quite a few. So Joe is written in. Um, fantastic on your book. Good luck with it. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Um, and this is always a uh, one of those hot topics. So should my pots have drainage holes in them? Is it necessary? Thank you. And the answer is a resounding yes, Joe. Um, because we want that water to leave the soil, even if it was outplanted, right? That plant is adapted and evolved with it, leaving the soil zone slowly returning to the earth. So yeah, we want to make sure that we make sure we have drainage in the pot, in the pot if possible. If, for example, you have a beautiful pot and it doesn't have drainage, 
find a plastic pot that fits inside that ceramic, wooden, whatever the material of the pot is, and, and just make sure that you can pull it out and drain it. Or take the pot out of the pot, or the pot cover, as we sometimes call them, water them, let them drain, and then put them back in. Mm-hmm. Another thing you get to often see with your uh, pots without drainage is a lot of people will just say, well, just put stones in the bottom of them. Mm-hmm. And that is a myth. The stones are very large and the fine peat material is very, very small. So the pores are very tightly held, are very small, and the water is very tightly held to the peat-based potting mix. So it won't actually break the tension over the water unless you literally give it way too much water, just flood the entire thing. Then it will, but then you're in a massive problem where your roots are now sitting in water, and unless it's a water plant or someone who can tolerate that, then you're in trouble. So yeah, so the so rocks in the bottom don't work. It just literally rises up your uh, saturation zone. So have you ever noticed where the bottom couple inches of your pot is always the most moist, the bottom of a pot? If you water your pot and pull it out, the top is, is still moist to the touch, but there's more water in the soil at the bottom. And a lot of the roots tend to be there. So now you've got a large portion of your roots sitting in a soil that's holding a lot of water. So you always want to let it drain, let that air get back in there, and make sure that those roots uh, aren't just sitting in water. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that goes for outdoor as well as indoor plants. So Definitely. we can kind of cover both there. And I know I have to confess, I've done the gravel before. And I have, done, too. I have too. You know, we've all kind of done it because, you, you know, you don't have the the option to make holes and a lot of the pots are not sold with holes I know I bought some really cool green lime green ones last year that I loved and they had no holes and I thought oh I'm not going to make the mistake I always make right because um, if you get a rainy spring or if you get you know you get watering and you don't realize it you've really Mm. overwatered so I got out my drill and I made and it's funny because they almost came with like areas where you could easily drill through so that when you started drilling it popped out a bigger hole yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I think that's something to think about is, uh, is really doing that. Um, or like you said, and putting a, a, the pot with holes in it in another pot. And so that you can, uh, you know, can kind of control how much water there it's sitting in. I got to think of my orchid. So this is an example of, you know, I've got a beautiful little glass, um, planting like little glass container for my little mini orchids. Um, but I have to, you know, take them out and, uh, make sure that, the water, you know, because it doesn't have a hole in it. So I have to make sure I'm dumping out that water and, uh, you know, that it's not sitting in the water. So, yeah. yeah. So good question. So thank you very much. Um, yes. For that. Thank you very much for that, Joe. We've also got uh, Ron's written in. Yes, the book. Phew. Finally. Excellent. Good luck. And thank you very much, Ron. <laughs> We've also got another question coming from Shane. Uh, to Joanne and Matthew, congratulations on your new book venture. And thank you very much, Shane. Uh, my seven-year-old granddaughter wants to start a flower garden this year for the very first time. What flowers slash plants would you recommend for me to get her to plant and take care of? That is a very big question, Shane. Mm-hmm. And we are wondering, uh, my first question is, where are you? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Where are you? Because <laughs> if you're Florida versus Winnipeg, that might be. Yes. A little bit different. A little bit different. Um, and, you know, what kind of think about, you know, uh, do you, are you visiting your granddaughter? Do you live with your granddaughter? 
Um, she's seven. I have a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old niece and nephew, uh, and their interests kind of scatter here and there. So I, what I would think is I try to find something that's very drought-resistant um, or something very, very simple, um, like a hosta or some succulents or some echinacea or some ornamental grasses or something like that. Um, just again, she wants flowers, though. So I don't if know she wants flowers, that. yeah, if she wants flowers. Yeah. Rutabecchia, Coreopsis, mm-hmm. things like that. Just some longer blooming something. But again, I would want to know where you are as well. Yes. Yep. So if you can write in, Shane, and just let us know where you are. I think in some ways, let her pick. Also, like the mom in me is like, oh, let her see. Because if she yeah. likes it and it's pretty and it's something that she um, wants to nurture, even if, and that's the thing with annuals, they, you know, look pretty already. So that's easy for yes. her to pick. Perennial might be a better option, right? For a seven-year-old to take care of, like you said, echinacea, purple coneflower, or or black-eyed Susans, but it might not be in flower in the store yet, but she can see the pretty picture on the tag. So that might be helpful. Um, So yeah, so I think that, and um, seeds too, I think of zinnias, like she could almost, you know, get a few of the annuals or like an annual, a perennial and some sprinkle some seeds. And I think she'd really get to see like how things change, right? Because the zinnias are, and cosmos, like there's some really annuals that you can still sow out in the garden now, and they pop up fairly quickly and last quite a bit of time. And I think she'd really be inspired. So I think it's kind of you could do a mix of things. But again, yeah. that's kind of based on, you know, approximately our zone, like four to six kind of thing. Um if you're calling, for, you know, from Arizona, we, you know, we have a harder time helping you, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting for kids to get their hands dirty and uh, learn about plants and learning about nature. I think that's really exciting. So I hope that helped Shane. Yes. Excellent. I went straight, my mind went straight to perennials and <laughs> low maintenance things there. So excellent with, with the annuals. Ooh, this is another, like, did we plant these questions, Matt? This is another really (laughs) cool question. So John is asking, what is the best way to raise pH levels in my garden soil? Congrats on your book. Well, I guess we talk about how to take a soil test. That's so that's what I thought thought of when I uh, when I read your question. So um, so yeah. So if you have already taken a, a pH or a soil test and you want to raise the pH level, how does one do that, Matt? Yeah, definitely. That was my first thought, too, is do a a pH test uh, um, and a soil test to make sure you need to raise the pH in your soil. If you're gardening under or around an evergreen, you probably do. Um, Or if you're seeing um, some issues in your lawn, you might have to lower it the other way as well. But you can often find uh, lime is often the most common uh, thing in your garden that you're or on the shelf that you're going to apply to your lawn and or your garden and the lime and and the uh, will basically lower your pH and bring it down do a pH test for sure to see because all the products will have an amount that you need to put down into an area per square feet to lower it to a certain pH so you'll be adding more if you have a pH of you know five or six versus a seven or a four uh, so yeah, usually you'll just see the dolomitic lime uh, or your lime products that will help you raise up. And these are all granular, so you'll slowly water them or work them in. If you're in a garden as well, you could add something like a compost to your soil as well, just to make mix it all in and help restructure that soil and raise the pH somewhat immediately in the higher areas of the compost, uh, but also to slowly change it 
over time and help break down and reincorporate some of that lime. So hopefully that that helps you there, John. Yeah, yeah. That is great. Ralph has also written in, hello, congrats on your new book venture. If we wanted a copy of your book signed, is that possible to do? Thank you. And yes, we are going to be doing that. We are, again, we literally like launched within the last 24-ish hours. Uh, So yes, we are going to work on that, Ralph, where uh, Joanne and I signed a bunch of copies and we will email them out. Uh, I will... Or mail them out. Or mail, email them out. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Mail them out to you. Uh, So we will probably be doing that through our website directly. uh, Or if you want to write us here, we can uh, arrange all of that as well. But yes, we have even our, us, we have even bought our copies from ourselves on uh, Amazon, just because Amazon is where it is and they print and ship much quicker. So we're just waiting on some author copies to be printed and sent to us. And uh, we'll be signing and giving them away and uh, sending them to listeners who would like them signed. Mm-hmm. Excellent right. question. Thank you, Ralph. Mm-hmm. Yes, very good question. Very good question. Jane uh, has also written in, where can we get the book? Yeah, so if you want to, again, right now, we're within the first 24 hours of launch. Uh, so we're putting them up on our websites. But you can go to amazon.ca and or .com depending on where you are, and just search down the garden path. And uh, it's the pretty purple one with the uh, lovely purple flowers and green lawn, a step-by-step guide to your Ontario garden by Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Um, Yeah, currently trending in the top landscape uh, garden books on Amazon as well. Woo! Right? (laughs) Yes, that's right. And we did want to talk to our listeners a little bit about a contest, right? Because we would love reviews. So if you are going to buy yes. it, um, we and it, and we can't give you a book to review. You know, they want um, proof of purchase. So you have to be a, a purchaser directly in order to review the book, um, right. which we would love, which really helps us. Um, I know we've asked you guys to review our, our podcast and that doesn't go, you know, that's much harder to do. I think it's much easier to review a book. Don't you think, Matt? Yes, <laughs> much easier to review a book. That's right. So yeah, verified purchase. And then everybody who does purchase it and uh, leave us a review or send us the review, I think we're going to do it. If you send us a picture of your review uh, next week, we will enter you into a draw. We'll have a few winners uh, to win some uh, down the garden path swag and stuff like that. We're putting together some prize packs. Uh, so if you're interested, we'd love a review and uh, your reviews always, whether it's the podcast or the book, always help us, uh, you know, grow a little bit bigger and reach a few more people. Uh, and we always appreciate it. So that's right. That is right. So I think we still have a few more questions. We do. We do. Um, Lenora has written in and says, congrats on your book. So thank you very much, Lenora. Uh, Kyle's written in Matt I remember the Kool-Aid powder (laughs) so funny good luck with the book all the best thank you thank you Kyle (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only like we are the only people (laughs) yeah (laughs) right Mm -hmm. 
And unfortunately, that's not something you can share on social media, right? I can't go out there and say, yes, you know, everybody smell the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, anyway. Technology hasn't gone to that sniff and, sniff and scratch and sniff uh, technology. Is it from uh, Futurama smell vision <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, Roy uh, has sent in a question. Great news about your book. My question is mulch the same as compost? Mm, Excellent question. question. Yeah. It's not the same, but compost can be used as a mulch. So if you don't want to put down like a traditional mulch, um, and almost anything can be a mulch, mulch is just a, a, a substance or a substrate that we're putting on the soil surface, usually two to three inches thick to help prevent the weeds from getting in, to prevent the air and the sun from drying the soil or damaging the soil below. Uh, but yeah, compost could be one of one of those things as a mulch. Typically, it's like a shredded cedar uh, or a pine. And depending on where you are in the world, uh, you can have different variations and different mm. formulas for it. But yeah, there is just a, a neutral or natural compost that you put down and two to three inches above the soil, it slowly feeds in. And uh, yeah, you can definitely use compost as a, as a mulch or mix it in. Uh, but it can it's not a mulch and it's not the same, uh, mm -hmm. but you can use a compost like a mulch, but a mulch could be stone or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And shredded leaves, like there could shredded be, a, leaves. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But they start to break down um, and be a compost or mulch. A great mulch. And then especially if you have compost or you've got a good, healthy uh, soil microbiome going, leaves will slowly be decomposed to feed the soil, which feeds the plants, which allows greater soil structure for air and water and food to exist. Uh, and leaves are super nutrient dense. Mm. Uh, so yeah, when you see those bags at the end of everybody's driveway, as long as they're clean leaf litter, like your neighbors know, there's, you've got clean trees at your neighbor's, Perfect. If they're giving you free food and free compost material. Okay. I've got a question for you. So uh, you know, I love using leaf, like my leaves, uh, you know, I've shredded them and I've done a bunch of different things and really using them uh, on my gardens in the fall. And most of my gardens are edged with you hedges, like, like low hedges. So what's happening is that all winter, like I guess wind and weather or whatever, the leaves, you know, some of the leaves get decomposed into the soil, but some of them end up you know, end up kind of hiding in amongst the base of the shrubs, a bit, yeah. like the base of the U. So in the spring, it's like raking them out. So I'm re I'm realizing I'm raking them out and putting them in the compost bags and, and to the curb. But really, if I just rake them back into the garden, like, so I'm raking them, it's funny because I'm raking them into the walkway. But I think if I stood in the garden and rake them into the garden, wouldn't, they would still be nutritious, right? They would still be nutritious. Um, and hopefully there's a little bit of green material and life in there so the compost comes with the wet stuff like the dead weeds or veggie scraps and then there and that's the nitrogen source and then there's the dry stuff like those leaves that are a carbon source so they will slowly break down and depending on the amount of nitrogen available or other wet material as i'm doing air quotes <coughs> pardon me um the, the, when there's that balance a 30 to one ratio, the, then those dry leaves will very quickly break down. If they're not, there's maybe not enough nitrogen in the soil or around. Mm -hmm. And if you put too much, what will happen is it will slow and stop because the microorganisms will take the nitrogen away from your plants to break down the leaves. Uh, they'll run okay. out of nitrogen and they'll slow the, the decomposition. Mm -hmm. When the okay. microorganisms die, 
they'll release the nitrogen. So you're not losing the nitrogen. But okay. Yeah. So should I even do that then? So if that's though, so it might not be a benefit because I don't really have green to put in there. Yeah, I would just crush them maybe and then spread them out a little bit more instead of like creating a, like a or just leaving it like a mulch and letting it do thing for however long. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. <gasps> Who do we have next? Uh, oh, where did we go here? La la la. We had Roy. Uh, we've got Ron. So happy to hear about your book. Plan the tours. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best way to naturally get weeds in or get rid of weeds in the grass? Yeah, you know what, Ron, it, the best way is to just grow a nice, uh, thick, healthy lawn, especially as the things if we are in our area, we grow cool season grasses. So as it gets warmer, the weeds will grow quickly, but the lawn slows down. So mowing it to no shorter than three inches, watering it once a week to an inch deep so the roots stay nice and strong, the plants stay cool, and they will slowly and eventually outcompete everybody that jumps in there. So you can add your fertilizers. Uh, if you get mostly green, I would definitely go organic, uh, just again to build that soil structure and get them moving. And you might need to give a little bit of help to like the dandelions or thistles or if you have creeping mm -hmm. charlie and things like that but yeah the keep the keeping it cool and keeping it watered is your key and she'll stay actively growing and fight all of the battles for you mm -hmm. that's one thing is we really haven't had like a really good rain it's it's already shockingly surprised how how dry it is like even, even the storm that whipped through here on the weekend was really a windstorm Mm -hmm. and or the long weekend was a windstorm and not really it didn't bring a lot of moisture so uh so yeah it's kind of interesting that we could already be I mean I, I feel like everything's still fairly green because I think we had so much snow you yeah. know that we're pretty the water table is probably pretty high but it's it is incredible that um you know our April our, we don't we May's almost over or you know it's virtually over and we didn't we hardly got any rain in May so uh so yeah, and uh, speaking of that, so, you know, weather and sun again, Florence has written in and she's asking, she says, it's great news about the book. Thank you very much, Florence. Um, is full sun six or eight hours? It's often, you'll see, it's often six plus hours. Mm, okay. um, so I often say six to eight hours and or more. And then you do want consecutive daylight hours of good quality sun. So you don't want your full sun to be like three hours in the morning and three hours in the evening. The intensity isn't mm -hmm. there, even though you're getting the hours, you're not getting them consecutively and it's not a good, uh, higher quality light. So yeah, six, six to eight hours, depending on where you are. If you're further in the South, you're going to get much longer. You'll probably see more eight hours. Uh, but here in some situations, uh, our full sun plants in a cooler climate will do perfectly with six. So six to eight hours plus things like roses, they thrive in the sun as much as you can give them. Mm -hmm. Growing a big tree, 10, 14, as much as you can give them. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. That's a great point. So yeah, everybody, these questions have been wonderful today. Um, we want to, again, make a, make a mention of next week's show that if you want, we'd love for you to join us on the radio like you are now, or if you also want to join us Facebook Live, there will be, you'll, we'll, you'll hear us both through both um, technologies, right, at the same yeah. time. Um, we'd love to see everybody. 
as uh, as we kind of launch the book, and then we can answer some more questions about the book. We can tell you a little bit about um, why we did what we did and and what we added, and like there was so much, right? So much to it. Oh. So. Um, lots of decisions. Um, we ended, and it was so funny because when we started, we were thinking we would never even get to a hundred pages. And what did we, right? And then we had to cut. We're at 129 pages. Yes. So, uh, so yeah. So it really, um, it uh, really became something we're we're very proud of, and we're excited to show you. And um, we want to give away some books as well. Um, but we also want to give away some swag and we'd love those reviews. So anybody who is uh, interested in buying one, um, please, uh, we'd love a review or uh, I guess that's the best way, right? We would see those reviews, Matt, and then that's who we would enter, write your name in for a draw. Yeah, exactly. So if review, we'll see your name there and we'll enter you in and tune in next Monday after you've left your review to see if you've won in our contest. A little draw. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so yeah. So that would be good. And we may have some other announcements on Monday as well. But other ways uh, that you can win after uh, Monday's show. But it is a lot. We were calling it our launch party. Um, yes. And we, but we really don't know what that means because we've never launched a book before. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> and we were too. It's so funny. Eh? We're like, we should have thought about this ahead of time. But we were so busy writing the book and proofing busy, the book yeah. and editing the book <laughs> and correcting the book and doing the rest of our jobs. Um, you know that we are uh, a little bit uh, new to the marketing of the book, um, but we are excited about it. And uh, we think the timing's perfect. You know, May, you can open the book right to the month of May and kind of yeah. go from there. And um, a shout out to our U.S. listeners, even though it says a step-by-step guide to your Ontario garden, um, you know that our zones are very similar mm-hmm. and most of the information uh, is going to pertain to you, uh, you know, not necessarily if you're in Arizona, you know, in the other extremes of the zone, um, but, uh, and and maybe it's a slight adjustment on the month, right, Matt, that you might be doing something in, right. um, but really the steps and the, and the ideas and the categories that we've come up with, uh, you know, which we'll talk more about on the show next week, uh, we really think it uh, can be helpful to a larger area, even outside of Ontario. So, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I think we look forward to next week. We've hit the end. Thank you, everybody um, who has written in um, and wished us luck and answer asked all those wonderful questions. Uh, we look forward to seeing everybody next week at our launch party on Facebook Live. We'll show you the book, answer lots more questions. And until then, thank you, everybody, uh, for tuning in here live on Reality Radio 101. We're Matt and Joanne signing off, uh, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.